Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirsch, and this is our holiday bonus Thanksgiving extra mini episode. Tur- across- Turkey tacular. Turkey tacular. That's, yeah. that's the word I was reaching for. Yeah. Uh, that's the voice of Jesse Case. I'm Matt Kirsch, and Andy is still making his way back from Chicago. He's in Michigan, isn't is he? Is he Michigan? Is that where he is? That's right where now? his family is, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Ann Arbor. His brother's in Chicago. Anyway, he's somewhere in the Midwest. Yeah, he- Andy's in the middle part, and uh, we're still stuck out here. Uh, so we're doing a little special episode for you. Just, uh, we didn't want to let you down. We didn't want, there, we were, there was talk of going, ah, screw it, it's Thanksgiving, we won't do an episode. And they, no. Yeah, consistency. Consistency is important. You know what? It's Cyber Monday. That's what they call it now. Yep. Um, so we are dressed as robots. Yeah, yeah, we are, dre- <laughs> we are dressed as robots. <laughs> as is the custom in America. <laughs> For Cyber Monday. <laughs> this is a, this is the, this is the least American of all the episodes. This episode, we have half an American on the show. And that'd be me, yeah. That'd be, half, you're half, half American, half Canadian. That's I'm right. all British. There sounds like a sounds like a phone line that you all British all the time. <laughs> you're Jewish too, aren't you? I am Jewish. Is that a race? Do you consider that a race? I, I don't know what it is. It's an ethnicity, I guess. Ethnicity? Um that but, it's really? just just even even that question mm. I just asked is such a hole. It digs such yeah, a hole. A, I don't mean it like that. I mean, well, no, I because mean it's a weird, it's a religion, but it's also, a, so I yeah, never it's know. It's a weird thing with Judaism where it's like it's uh it's a religion which I don't follow. You know, I, I left the religion behind quite a while ago. Sure. I don't consider myself religious at all. Uh, but it's also a culture, ethnicity, sure. family background. So I still identify as Jewish in that respect. Sure. But religiously, I find it all kind of nonsense. Well, I still identify as Southern Baptist. Right, right. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not religious yeah. at all, but you can tell our eyes are beadier and further apart. And, right. Uh, You're handling snakes sometimes? Handling snakes. <laughs> it's a cultural, you know, sort of cultural thing. And, uh, and I, you guys both so, still celebrated Thanksgiving. Yeah, we right? still. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we celebrated, th- we all celebrated Thanksgiving together, all three of us. Yeah, we should, Think about I should that. Introduce, um, introduce the guests. Let's our guest, uh, that voice you heard is Canadian Woo. slash British, like uh, you know, slash, maybe uh, Irish, Irish four, legally. Fourteen years of being bastardized in Europe. Yeah, I so. can. Cons- I, I consider our guest. Our guest is uh, Jason John Whitehead, who is a Hello. very funny comic and a, and a good friend of mine from back home. Someone I've known for many years. I consider you to be a British comic, even though you're Canadian born. I do and- know more about Britain than I do about Canada or America. And you started think, your comedy career point, in so. in Scotland, right? I you- did, yeah, in the nineties. And uh. So I just worked your way down to London. Lost in Britain. Yeah. Mm. Um, and and you're also half you're Irish. Irish, yeah. That's citizen that's, as well. That's what allowed me to be over there. Yeah, I've got an Irish passport and a Canadian passport. So I'm the only single passport person in this room. Yeah. I feel left out. But you're a Jew. <laughs> yeah, you don't get a passport. <laughs> like normally, when they make you have a passport for that, that's not a good thing. Right. That's ne- <laughs> that's yeah. Never- yeah. Historically, that's never been good. <laughs> Historically, now, um, did you take your rite of passage I ha- thing? Yeah, I, I took both rites of passage. The first one unwillingly at the age of six. Uh, sorry, at the age of six days rather. And uh, the age of what? At six days old, I had the first unwilling. Oh, rite that of rite of passage, the, the circumcision. And then, uh, yeah, at sixty, I, had, I did the bar mitzvah. I got. I got there's a oh, video. No, oh no, I, I'm circumcised. No, I, I thought I, I meant the. Uh, I'm not. Which is weird, uh, but, but you're Canadian. I am, yeah. And you still got circumcised. Yeah, wasn't there a story that uh, in the seventies, a lot of the North, I assume it was the North American parents, but didn't a lot of North American kids get circumcised? They did. There was a big born scare. Seventies, because yeah, they were really big scare. Annoyed. Yeah, I was born in the eighties, and um, my parents both. Uh, already being HIV positive junkies, just said, "Who cares? Screw it. Let's, Screw let's, it. Let's, let's, uh, yeah. They actually, they he actually picks up any extra diseases because he's uncircumcised. Yeah, I've actually named my penis the Pit. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> um, I thought that was a despair reference rather than anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Main, mainly, uh, <laughs> it's a definite despair. Um, no, what I meant by rite of passage, I don't know if it's called that. Where you go to Israel, you get a free trip. Oh, yeah, the birthright trip. Birthright, there it is. I never did that, but I did do age 16. There's another thing that you can do. Like, birthrights when you're over 18. Uh, but age 16, there's a thing that particularly Those British your, kids do your called level tour. Uh, where you go on this, this tour of Israel and in these groups, in like this youth club thing. Like a walkabout? Not really. There's like, basically, <laughs> you're, you're split into groups of around 20. And you go on a bus around 
around Israel and you stop off at different places and some of them are just seeing the sights and then other places they try and indoctrinate you a bit and other places you're just singing songs and doing activities and it lasts around it, it lasts a good couple of weeks I can't remember it, I, it, maybe even a month I can't remember it seemed oh, like wow. a long time wow but that's that's something that a lot of kids do a lot of Jewish kids do when they're 16 in the summer break well, huh. That kind of sounds like fun. It sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I, I don't know if even if you were religious, I don't know if you'd pay that much attention. If you're 16, you're packed onto a bus with a bunch of other. Yeah, kids. and there are, there are different like there are different youth groups that have that do this thing, and some are more secular, and some are more religious, and some are more dogmatically Zionist, and some are more just like, hey, here's a cool place that. Then there's kind of like a, a random girls gone wild bus. Yeah, exactly right. And yeah, like a weird. You, you meet up with them every so often. And, <laughs> yeah. And stand awkwardly nearby <laughs> right. before returning to conversations with your friends because you're awkward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, spring break, woo! That's how it works. Yeah, that's Ju- Jewish spring break. There's a lot of there's a lot of playing cards, and one guy has a guitar. Wow. Um, but that's how that worked. That was me, age sixteen. Uh, but um, American uh, traditions. It is Thanksgiving. We have some Thanksgiving people weekend. to thank ourselves. We do. We have some people to. Uh, we're always giving thanks here at Probably Science. We uh, obviously we. Uh, the support means the world to us. Yeah, I should. Um, if we miss you out, by the way, yeah, like we have a donation button. If you go to probablyscience.com uh, and you can donate via PayPal. If we, if you've given money at any point and we have forgotten to thank you or just missed you out because the email got skipped over or whatever, or we were just inept, please don't feel like you're being in any way passive aggressive or dickish or whatever to send us a reminder. We really do. Yeah, we want to. We want to talk about you. Hugely appreciate everyone who sends in money. And if you if you did that once and you didn't get a mention, please just nudge us and uh, and shout at us for that. But um, thank you so much. Uh, um, we don't normally mention the amounts, but I think in this particular case, Chip Cherry, who I know has messaged us and donated before, yeah, um, like sent us six dollars sixty six. With a message saying, I dare you to take this money. And we did. Dare accepted, Chip. Thank yeah, you very much. Absolutely. Nothing happened. Do you think he was going to scare you? Are you guys <laughs> we were... paranoid? That would be bad luck. I don't know. I don't know, but I, I appreciate if anyone wants to send us 13 or any other... Any other weird... Dangerous... Or, or 666. <laughs> $6. That would be nice. Go for it. Yeah. Terrify them. Yeah. Chip, I say not satanic enough. That's <laughs> yeah. what I say. <laughs> you, know, you know what I noticed recently is that uh, I was texting my mom. And uh, mom on a phone is 666. Whoa. Like the M-O-M, you know? Wow. So a little, uh, huh? Think, <laughs> how, up, think how, about it. How, how <laughs> is your mom? Do you like your mom? She's great. So oh. we've just noticed that, learned from that, that you still have a phone that, you, that has old school. No, I can, I can do that if I want. On the, uh, or, or no, it's for calling. Oh, okay. You know how you can, when you, when you call, you have your dial pad. Yeah. But you can do it by dialing someone's number or just doing the letters of their name. Okay, you know what I mean. So, so I do like an M A T T if I'm calling you, Matt, um, instead of because wow. I don't know your number, you know, or don't have a number. This is a move I've never heard of on the phone. Are you serious? Yeah, I didn't pull up when you pull that up. Would your, never work for me. Of course it would. When you pull up your dial pad, Matt, try it right now. I'm gonna try it right now. Try it right now. I'm gonna try and phone. I'll, I'll try and call you. Okay, but just do it by just bringing up your blank phone and with keypad. the num- with the keypad do a J E J E. S S E. The iPhone doesn't do that. Okay, that's a Droid thing. <laughs> All right, fair yeah, enough. We've made it up. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> so, so well, Droid users know that their moms are Satan. Uh, Chip sent that, and uh, Thank you, Chip. and has donated in the past as well. And also, Chip, um, try to use the uh, Amazon Associates button uh, on the website. And I think because he was buying from Canada, wasn't able to. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. We, we got a message about that. Um, people have asked whether they can donate using that thing. Uh, from other countries. At the moment, it appears not, but I'm going to double-check. I'm going to message Amazon and see if we can make that work because I know Americans have successfully bought stuff. Essentially, if you're buying anything, if if you're American and maybe not American, and you're going to buy anything from Amazon, maybe over the holiday period, uh, and you want to buy a present, click on the link on our website and then go and then shop on Amazon. Just normally, it costs you no extra money. But we get a little bit of a commission from that, and it just helps our show. So if you want to help us without donating any money, uh, that's one way you can do it. The other way is, of course, write nice things about us on iTunes right. and 
just rate the episode. Once you've listened to the episode, just rate it nicely, and that just helps bump up our numbers. Yeah, we get yeah. So do the Amazon thing. We get a little kickback, as Matt said last week. Uh, it's it's it does no harm except to, to small business. Does no harm to, except for the businesses, the many many businesses. Yeah, that except Amazon for the, is ruining. Yeah, except yeah, for the so and the work. Except don't for do what you guys just asked for, then you're mean. You're heartless. Yeah. Like, how could you not help you guys out for nothing? There we go. Uh, right, ex- except, uh, except obviously, obviously by, by ruining the, the heart and soul of American local, commerce. But, uh, support uh, your local stores. Yeah. But, uh, <coughs> uh, but Chip donated. Uh, Paul Clayton from Utah donated some money. It was very kind. Thank kind you, Paul. Paul. As did uh, Kristen Lewis from Arlington, Virginia. And Kristen left a message which I guess we quite often... I've, I've definitely, in the past, expressed surprise and amazement that real scientists listen to our show. Yeah, um, it is weird. Which we, which I find, it, but Kristen is a real scientist currently currently a PhD physicist, but made the very good point. Um, firstly, like Kristen was saying, that it's she finds the show entertaining anyway, but also which is very nice, but also it introduces to news outside our expertise. She said, which of course makes a lot of sense. That didn't. It's a really obvious thing that didn't occur to me that. Oh yeah, scientists like, don't. They're not just all the science. They don't just go in there and like with into a room with bubbling test tubes and right. Today we're going to do three sciences. They they specialize in yeah, things. Yeah, generally they are quite. Uh, so the specific. physicists might want to hear some biology stories and vice versa and so on. Um, sure. And what, boy, do we have some biology stories today. We do. Um, but, well, we have to get to. Uh, we, we have to talk about Sally. Obviously, we, we have to talk about Sally. This is one. Uh, apologies, Sally. We should have thanked you a couple of weeks ago. There's a there's a logo uh, that we have on the website. This caricature of us. There was there's two versions floating around, one pre Jesse and one post Jesse joining like the show. A, yeah, it's sort of like a BCAD thing. I, I'm really trying to get a calendar started um, uh, instead of Gregorian, be like a probably science based pre Jesse, post Jesse. And then at some point in the future, when it's been counted a certain distance, like the the, the calendar should stop at a certain date. Oh people yeah, people predict- just wonder what's happening. People wonder what's going to happen. And then there'll be a movie that comes out about yeah, like in in thirty twenty one or something. How, how many episodes PJ are we? Oh well, or, or it would be AJ. AJ, AJ. We're officially about four or five. Although, Jesse- but I've been on a ton of episodes, and I was also on the soft open, which never came out. That's true. I remember that. Is that um, a porn <laughs> reference? So, huh? The soft open. What does that mean? A porn reference? <laughs> yeah. A soft open is when um, something has a grand opening, but it's actually open like a week prior. Just testing. Just testing. Oh, have you ever right. done that like at a, at a comedy club? Like a comedy club's big opening weekend will have like Bill Burr oh, or something. Okay. But then they'll get some jackass like me for the soft opening. I see. Just All to right. make sure you know, the so staff handle it. break no, it in Just a bit. to make sure like people don't get food poisoning. I see. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm and like <laughs> and it shows when you new talk shows start and things like that, where like when Fallon started, um They'll do like a they week. had more than a week, I think. They had yeah. several weeks of just running shows that never got broadcast where they just ran the show. They ran the show fully for real with real guests, some of them famous, right? And just never broadcast it just to make sure they got used to worked doing. Worked out the kinks and yeah. stuff. No, obviously none of the kinks got worked out in this show, and it wasn't really a soft opening. Someone forgot to hit record. That's all that happened. <laughs> so it, it turned into a soft opening. <laughs> we call it the soft. We call it the soft. But that's opening. why we did a soft opening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's why you have to do one. Make sure um, you hit record. It's so a what, trial run, basically. So what Sally did, uh, Sally uh, drew both those amazing logos. Um, and is also behind this website, um, wepaperpeople.co.uk. And you might have seen this. She, she did one of the Probably Science crew. She's done one of... Here's the thing. Sally, if you're listening, and I hope you are, do you have any kind of job that isn't drawing things? I hope not, because as far as I can tell, she very watches talented. every... Firstly, very, very talented. And secondly, she seems to watch every single TV show, listen to every podcast and right. every band, because she's done Paper People of all of these... Uh, well, it seems like something to have going in the background while she's paper peopling. There we go. Um, you know, so she does these paper people where you can print out, um, you print out basically the net of this three D shape and you fold it the way it's done, and then you end the, up with this little stand up yes, caricatures. The mesh, as you would call it, the three D mesh. Yep, and you and end you... up with these little stand up caricatures of famous people. And she also does custom ones of anyone. She does custom paper people and custom caricatures and cards. So maybe if you're looking for an interesting yeah, Christmas right. present, absolutely pop that in a stocking. You know, a couple of little ca- either caricatures of your friends and family, or, or if you want some interesting dinner table settings, something like maybe that. Maybe little, maybe have everyone sat down in front of their paper person. Yeah, maybe, but but yeah, get one of those. Pop that in a significant other's stocking. So you know, yeah. and say you're you're paper to me, baby. So that's we. You, 
cut my fingers. I don't know. So that's we W E E as in little in Scottish paperpeople.co.uk and go go and support Sally's work. She's she's got some really cool stuff going there. She was very kind enough just to for no reason other than just apparently she likes to draw things from people that she listens to. Just it's very gave, sweet of her. Just did an amazing logo for us. So that was very very cool. Thank you Sally. Cool. Thank you Sally. A fine, final, final piece of mailbag. Uh, this show is turning into one long pledge week. This is a huge... I just mean the, well, Thanksgiving. The, the, so it's Thanksgiving. This is Thanksgiving. Our last one, though, we did a solid hour of thank yous. We did. We were sol- making up for a lot. We were making up for a lot last time. There was a lot of Nimrod chat. We did have a lot of Nimrod chat. We, ha- we had a donor uh, on the last episode from Israel whose name was Nimrod. And thank God we got those kidneys, too. Because it was getting, <laughs> it was getting out of hand. I mean, we were, we were... We were getting through a lot of kidneys a week. Yeah. Um, so we thanked someone called Nimrod and had a brief conversation about how that person was named after uh, an insulted derogatory term. Sure. And a lot of people, including the, the man himself, emailed in to say, actually, that's not what Nimrod means or is from. And also, both him and someone else from Israel pointed out that's not how it's pronounced. Uh, it's the stresses on the second syllable, and it's nearer to Nimrod. Right. So, Nimrod. so yeah, we got uh, Nimrod himself emailed us in, um, uh, and then his his other friend from um, from Israel, Cunt, um, emailed us in. <laughs> and uh, okay, I'm going to stop you there. That wasn't his. <laughs> <laughs> um, we and Oswipe. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so apparently. Uh, Nimrod, Nimrod is a mighty hunter in the Bible. Okay, he was a he was a strong and powerful character. Sure. And then, from a Bugs Bunny cartoon, uh, Elmer Fudd uh, is sarcastically called "Poor Little Nimrod," uh, referring to the fact that he's a hunter but a bad one. Huh. So there we go. Anyone's wondering about where Nimrod came from? He w- It was a sarcastic term. Used uh, by Bugs Bunny. Yeah, in the same way you might call someone who's feeble in a cartoon, Samson. Sure. But the cartoon was more popular than the Bible story, apparently. Right. And people assumed it just meant the sarcastic version, for right. real. Or the same way you might call um, s- s- a Jesus-y person the Beatles. Right. Because, of course, they were bigger than Jesus. Yeah. Right. Um, I feel like I've learned so much already, Phyllis. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, so apologies, Nimrod. Um um, you you send us a pelt. So are you saying when Green Day named their album Nimrod, they were calling themselves Mighty Hunters? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what Madison. That's what he's alluding to. Yes. All right. Yeah. And uh, and American Idiot <laughs> is about people that didn't understand the title of Nimrod. That's what American <laughs> Idiot is about. Um, full circle. It's full circle. It all comes full circle. So um, S- apologies. Um, uh, apologies that we made fun of your weird, ludicrous name. Now, um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I just thought it meant a divining rod. Like a nim- was, but clearly I was a nim- wrong, but Yeah, I, I thought a nimrod was another name for a divining rod, which I guess was, uh, I somehow got the hunting reference crossed up. But apparently there's no rod the involved at all. It's not even a physical... It's just bullshit, is it? Like, you just... Using a divining rod to find water and stuff? Is that- no, no, I mean in Nimrod, there's no, uh, it's not a noun. Well, I always thought it was a noun, uh-huh. but it's a proper noun. But so it doesn't, the, the, the rod being an actual, the rod syllable also being a noun is pure coincidence, is what I'm learning here. Hmm. So there's obviously, there's no Nim, you know. Um, I don't know. I don't know. So, so we, now we have an answer. There's a mighty hunter in the Bible. Um, which, as we've already said earlier, we haven't read a lot of. So our apologies, or we would have known that. So everyone who emailed in used the phrase Mighty Hunter as well, specifically. <laughs> <laughs> we, wow. we have a lot of uh, Associated Press listeners. It was exactly, um, yeah. <laughs> a Mighty Hunter. It was a very specific phrase, yeah. Well, uh, that's got to just be Wikipedia then, right? I, I guess. I love it when you're the last ones left to know. <laughs> you're the ones with the podcast, and everybody's clarifying things for you. Well, most Perfect. of it's just clarification. Most of the emails we get is just calling us idiots for something. It's, we... it's almost like if the Jeopardy question could have just been a mighty hunter from the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Who Who is Nimrod? Um, who is Nimrod? So, JJ, we always ask our guests this before we get started on stories. What, if anything, is your science background? 
Uh, yeah, that's quite funny. I uh, I actually took health sciences at university, so I've got I've got a kinesiology degree. So what, that I never used at all. What is what even is kinesiology? Well, I study it's the movement of the human body. So, it was so like, like it's disco like dancing sports is- sciences and stuff. Um, I did. You know what? I worked for uh, Marriott Vacation Clubs at the end of my degree. So I went down there and I ran their activities and stuff. So I used to. You know, try to tell all the vacationers how to live healthy and eat properly <laughs> and take them out golfing or on a dolphin tour. And yeah, that was the stretch of my degree. Wow. A lot of my brother has the same degree. My brother actually works at the Queen QE2 hospital in Halifax. So he helps people rehab injuries, you know, so they hook them up to the machines and see how, see how their muscle fibers are healing and all that kind of stuff. So that's yeah. what I could have done. If I didn't just fuck off to Britain and start telling jokes. There are so many other episodes of this podcast you should have been on. Oh, yeah? But you're on this one, because we needed you. We get, we get called out all the time for our understanding of, our poor understanding of health sciences. Um, yeah, well, mine's a real poor understanding now, too, because even health sciences have moved on a lot since, you know, since I graduated in 1998. Well, back so, then, it was basically just, so. like, cold showers and yeah, bracing walks. Exactly. <laughs> McDonald's no more than once a day. <laughs> yeah. You know? Sure. Yeah, so everything's changed now. Wow. Well, na- nowadays they even have to wear helmets when they play hockey. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's right. They've they've invented concussions now. Yes. <laughs> Everybody's got concussion like syndromes, and yeah, none of that happened in the eighties and nineties. So you just had a headache. Yeah, or you just you, you just, just had, had a headache the... and blurry vision. Yeah, there weren't panic attacks. You just you got the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> take, take, <laughs> take a couple minutes off and get back in the game. Take it easy. Take a knee. <laughs> yeah. I, I I love I do love like in the first world war shell shock. Was what they called like oh, post-traumatic stress syndrome, PTSD. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, they called oh, it's it just that, being a <laughs> shell shot. They called it that even bang whipples. <laughs> yeah, they called it that even even recently. Is uh, my uh, my great uncle, um, and I remember hearing his story in I think in the nineties, and uh, even they were saying like, yeah, he was he was shell shocked in World War Two, as if as if PTSD didn't exist, and before that. It, they don't. I, I guess a lot of people in my family didn't understand that those are synonymous. They were just saying, "No, shell shock was just unique. You can't get shell shock now. <laughs> yeah. There's no more shell shock." Been through a war and didn't get shell shocked. By the way, <laughs> what kind of super psychopath. soldier is just storming through the field? <laughs> you bunch of pussies. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you're right. Shell shocked. Hey, Jimmy, where's your neck gun? <laughs> <laughs> it's a pussy. <laughs> Got shell shocked, man. I just saw that uh, Salinger um, documentary that's out now. Uh, I got it on Netflix there, and I didn't realize that guy got real screwed up Already? in World War II. Yeah. Um, I, like, know, I know so little about Salinger. Well, I think yeah, uh, that's how he like wanted just, it. Yeah. You know? I don't like think I've he read Catcher in the Rye, and that's it. That's a- yeah, that's as far as I was going to go, too. I, I, I reread Catcher in the Rye this last week after I saw that documentary, because he wrote it during World War II. You know, I'm a big, uh, I like history stuff. Uh, he wrote it during that. Um, he wrote a lot of it just kind of even like on the front lines and stuff. And then a lot of it in a mental hospital after. And um, it's really bizarre. I felt so hacky because I was just sitting in a diner, you know, <laughs> reading Catcher in the Rye. I felt 15 Look, again. Looking, looking slightly crazy. Yeah. Just sitting there alone. You always, when you're reading a book like that, do you make sure that you, you uh, angle it up so that everybody can see it? Oh, they've all got to see the title. Just, yeah, yeah, you know, it's a little bit crazy. No, I was, at, uh, I was at an IHOP reading Catcher in the Rye, literally waiting on my friend to show up so we could play chess. <laughs> and I've never felt so, like, 15 again. You know what I mean? It was just the most... <laughs> you pull out your notebook every so often to write some poems? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just felt so hack sitting there, like, ah, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe this is where I'm at. That's, that's like a whole identity I can't that you that take you on. I can't that looking psycho is hack. <laughs> I think there's everything original about that. Well, no, no. I just think that, you know, just being the... Uh, you know what's hack in an IHOP is ordering pancakes and being normal. You're not hack sitting there looking crazy with a chess clock. I sure. people up with, with Catcher in their eyes showing. <laughs> no, it's that's just... a great it's, move. No, it's not that... It's not a unique crazy... You know, it's like a, um, I don't know. I almost, I almost wish I had like an, a special book cover for it or something. You don't want to be seen. I'm already a guy that has like longer hair. You don't want to be seen reading Catcher in the Rye. I, I almost wanted to tell people like, I'm rereading it. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do anything. Lennon's already dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just I saw a documentary. All right. Just settle down. That's why our good friend in England, uh, Nick Duty, I always liked that when he had that little room in Cranley Gardens and he had a collection of books above, all he had was one shelf above his little skinny single bed. Yeah. And it looked like a serial killer's room because of what, <laughs> just... of what Nick would read. So it had like selections like Catcher in the Rye and stuff. And if you peeked in the room, you just thought... This looks like a man who's ready to. Yeah, it was just like it, it make was. Some headlines. It was like the like French literature, <laughs> chess books, and then like Howard Zinn and Chomsky. Well, I mean that that's not making me feel too confident about my room. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're recording this in my room, by the way. I literally have twenty typewriters. Yeah, <laughs> which is not okay. That's a suspect amount of typewriters. I realize that. By the way, if you're in the LA area and you want to buy one. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm totally serious. I meant to I say to, that as well when we were talking about. I need to get rid of a lot. I can repair them, and I, so I've got a, a lot of them up to mint condition. Anywhere from 1895 to 1963. Uh, get at me. Email probably science at gmail.com. And or tweet uh, at Jesse Case. Or tweet at Jesse Case and get yourself a probably science uh, typewriter. But yeah, I have one. Yeah, way, be I, perfect little. Christmas gift nice for a, Christmas for a writer gift for a hacky <laughs> ticket and I up. Just be a real jackass. Be that guy. Be the hipster guy in a, yeah. in a Starbucks uh, with it's a typewriter. It's it's such an it's an undefendable hobby. It's completely embarrassing. I'm I'm impressed with it, man. I no, think it's a cool hobby. Like like no, but guys, look, I've got all these typewriters. I have I have this uh, record collection. I've got a, a a Bill Hicks poster and Catcher in the Rye. It's it, this <laughs> yeah. is a crazy person's. <laughs> it looks if it like it wasn't I'm, for the size of your room, it would look crazy. If well, you had a little one bunker stuck well, in the corner I, no, somewhere. I feel like I, I constantly ask this about myself is if I died and no one knew me and homicide detectives had to search my place they would what would they think first off you know and they would absolutely think like this guy somewhere in this room is a manifesto <laughs> like that, you know, and I don't have a manifesto. I've never tried to write one, but it looks like there's a manifesto somewhere. You get enough typewriters too. Jesus, you can man. write one sentence on each of them. Yeah, <laughs> different, it together. Detective different fonts them together. That would be really hard to trace back. <laughs> yeah, just different different fonts. Um, you know what? It's good hobby. My grandfather, speaking of shell shock, so he was a radar engineer in the in the Second World War. He's based in uh, Bethnal Green, but he collects antique uh, irons. Yeah, you know where he had to put the coals in them. Oh wow! And I think see his house looked. Like a crazy, crazy <laughs> man because of all these irons. I, I'm impressed with your typewriters. I think it looks better, but it slightly reminds me of my grandfather's iron. All typewriters look really cool. They yeah. look great. Yeah, they're man. great looking things. And also, they're it's br- interesting seeing them in like halfway states of repair. And yeah, I mean, it's not the it, it's not the coolest. Um, I will tell you guys this is this is a very difficult room to um, bring a lady back to because it can really go either way. You know what I mean? It's either like you're the coolest guy I've ever fucking met or like I'm leaving now. Like right now. <laughs> like it's, uh, it's, it's a little there's a little bipolarity well, there. Well of all the things I can't imagine a girl going back to her friends and going he just had a bunch of typewriters in his room. It was what do you creepy. mean of all the things? What, what other red well, flags are you... <laughs> Well, I don't know. I, do I see a wrestling mask from here? Is this? Do I spot a wrestling mask? Yeah, it's a it? Mexican wrestling mask. Oh, sure. Right. Maybe if that was sitting prominently at the head of your bed, that might freak a woman <laughs> a little bit more. <laughs> sometimes you gotta. Sometimes you gotta right throw your on your typewriters. Man. Sometimes you gotta be a luchador, man. Sometimes you know. And it, you just and you just say to her, that one's for you. Yeah. <laughs> and when you find the girl that stays, marry her, man, because. She's impressed with that. Oh, I've tried. I've tried, JJ. Typewriters and wrestling. Let's go. Yeah. Soviet chess clock. I just need to hang out with your friend is what I need to do. (laughs) need to hang out with your friend. Um, uh, Now, guys, uh, uh, so if a girl came into this room, you know, she might be a little little scared, right? Maybe. Mostly because we're sitting around naked. Right. Well, mostly (laughs) because the three of us are are sitting around naked. Now, if she came in, uh, you know... um, she might she might be scared of a lot of things about the room, but maybe even a smell would turn her off. The smell of all of us sitting around naked. Uh, it's a very distinctive smell. Very distinctive, yeah, distinctive possibility. Three of us naked sitting in a room <laughs> is, uh, creates creates its own unique odor. I like to call it banter surprise. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Are you working on bottling that? <laughs> Sounds great. I'm working pretty hard on bottling it right now. Well, did you guys know that the fear of a smell can be passed down several generations? I. That seems unlikely, Jesse. Well, it's completely true. If a particular smell makes you uneasy, but you don't really know why, 
Perhaps you should ask your grandparents. That's, that's a little, uh, that's how, little suggestion there. That new scientist article kicked off. Yeah, that's how, that's how it kicked off. I that see. was not me. But um, ask your grandparents. They're mighty hunters. I mean, my grandparents are all dead now, but uh, imagine if I was just to phone up one of them when they were still alive and just go, I'm sc- scared of a smell. Oh, is this your doing? It's a scary one because I'm actually, I don't like the way my grandparents smell. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good call. Perfectly <laughs> That is a good call. I, uh, no one likes the way their grandparents smell, do they? Yeah. It's all mothballs. And, I don't think my poor grandmother, she's very sweet, but I don't think she bathes very much. Well, my, so, yeah, uh, I think things yeah. get stuck in the wrinkles. I, I, I'm <laughs> serious. My, my grandma my gra- smelled nice. It was, like, <laughs> it was like sort of face powder and peppermints. Oh, that's like she had a minty powdery smell to her. Uh, that does sound good. That sounds good. Yeah, um, I uh, yeah, my gra- my grandparents. None of them. None of them smelled good. It was. Uh, it freaked me out. It just freaked me out. I think just because you associate it with oldness, and when you're very very young, the elderly freak you out. It's so alien, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the elderly freaking me out uh, quite a bit. I remember the first time I saw someone. This is terrible. This is so embarrassing, and this is not where my heart is at at all. This is just what it is. I was a little kid. Must have been three, right? Right. First time I saw someone with Down syndrome, I started crying um, because I was so... I didn't know what was going on. It was just... It was, I remember... Uh, you were shocked or... or yeah, shocked. Shock. Out of empathy. No, no. I didn't know anything was going on. It was just... I knew something was... Well, kids can't help. Like, you, you, like when, you're, when you're too young to understand... And hopefully, like, a good parent will give them the cues then to kind of... Of course. Of course. Talk them through that situation. Explain how to interact well with anyone who isn't quite like them. Uh, yes. But I... I remember when I think I was probably... I was a bit older than... Th- I was old enough to know better, maybe about five or six, when I asked my great aunt if she was alive in the olden days. Yeah. <laughs> now, how did you guys picture the olden days? Because I always pictured it like sepia-toned. Yeah. I'm serious. Like, it sepia- I pronounce it sepia, I think. Oh, okay. Sepia. American... No, I, I may be completely off base there, but I might be wrong too. But but uh, when yeah, my, I think neon color was invented in the eighties, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> so I, yeah. Well, 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 like I had a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, fluorescent top, and I like neon. So yeah, so and I think that was the first that. use of fluorescent colors in history. Hmm. When my when my parents talked about the olden days. I always imagined it like uh, they talked about something, some road trip they took back in the old days. That's what they said, and I I pictured for some reason. A really old-fashioned car driving on a dirt road in the desert, and everything was sort of like copper-tinted. And that's what I thought all the old days were. I mean, you see black-and-white photos, so I just naturally, as a kid, you assume... Everything like, was in black things and just white. weren't that colorful back then. Well, yeah, that's your yeah. logic. It's like, that's kid logic. Of well, Obviously, color wasn't around until probably a couple years ago. Yeah, well, and plus, <laughs> if you wore anything colorful, you were making too much of a statement, weren't I, you? you were I just- do... I do honestly think things weren't like certain things weren't that as colorful back then. Like clothing wasn't as colorful. No, of course. And, of course. Uh, yeah, the preservatives didn't exist in food as well. The dyes right. and things like that. I think that. there was. I think yeah. But you know what was powerful Everything back was, then is is smell, just as powerful. Probably smellier the old days, which we don't we don't think about much. <laughs> Terrible segue. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but it, you know, uh, guys. Uh, for instance, mice. Uh, whose father or grandfather learned to associate the smell of a cherry blossom with an electric shock, um, would become more jumpy in the presence of the same odor and responded to uh, lower concentrations of it than normal mice, Uh, which is a a new finding that's been led by uh, Brian Diaz at Emory University of Medicine in Atlanta. Um, And it's providing some of the best evidence yet for the inheritance of memories or traits across generations, which has longstanding been a theory. So... (sighs) Yeah, I'm having trouble trying to picture this. So if you're saying, if I've inherited, like, a, a, are you scared of a smell or something? Well, this Is that do, what you mean? This like, do you does have a fear? I think you might just have a visceral reaction. You know, we, dis- we discussed this before with um, the special part of, uh, of certain great apes' brains that are naturally scared of snakes. You know, and that's a passed down, that's a generational yeah, fear. Yeah, but what's weird about this is that it can be inherited in just a couple of generations. That, that's what really surprised me this isn't like a, a long-standing evolved trait this is something so, so this that's... explains why i'm afraid of indians because i've never known why but anytime <laughs> i see a savage red man i i flip out and i think it was probably had to do with the wagon trail or something hmm. <laughs> right <laughs> we, we've moved beyond smell here <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so this article says uh previous studies have hinted that these stress stressful effect, events rather 
can affect the emotional behavior or metabolism of future generations, maybe through chemical changes to the DNA that can turn genes off and on again, which is a mechanism, uh, off or on rather, which is a mechanism known as um, epigenetic inheritance. Uh... But although epigenetic changes have been observed, identifying which ones are relevant is a bit like searching for a needle in a haystack. Yeah, that's a great metaphor, Matt. Did you come up with that? I did, yeah. I once searched, tried to search, I, I lost one of my favorite needles in a haystack once. <laughs> and I remember to this day how difficult it was to find it. So that wasn't just in the article that we're reading? No, no, that no. That was no. you it just, comparing it, it to a needle the article in a haystack? Just said, how do you even think like that? The article know? just said fucking hard. It just fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> but I cleaned it up a bit for our readers by using <laughs> this analogy to some tricky event from earlier on in my life. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's tricky to find this because many genes control behaviors or uh, metabolic diseases like obesity. Um, smell is a bit different Individual odors, uh, such as um, acetophenone, acetophenone? All I know is it smells like cherry blossom. You do know that. Um, (laughs) They often bind to specific receptors on the olfactory bulb, which is the interface between the nose and the brain. Uh, In this case, to a smell receptor called M71. So they can look at the specific gene encoding this receptor... Uh, and narrow down narrow down their search. So you're saying the haystack becomes a little smaller. I am, I would have. That's how I would have put it. <laughs> that is how I might have put it. Uh, God, so, we're dicks. So what they did was they um, conditioned these male mice to associate that specific smell with an electric shock, uh, which then made it fearful of that smell. Um, they developed more M71 receptors. Uh, to, which enable them to detect um, this chemical at much lower levels. So the more they, they ran this experiment, the more they developed the, more of these M71 receptors. Now here's where it gets and weird. at what point do they pass it on to well, the well, here, generation Here's how mice. they did it. Is, is Diaz, as well as Kerry Ressler, who's also at Emory, they both uh, they took sperm from these conditioned mice um, and they used it to inseminate female mice. Um, it took two of them, apparently. And when the offspring from these uh, pairings were exposed to the same chemical, to, to acetophenone, they were more jumpy uh, than when they smelled a neutral odor, even though they had never smelled acetophenone before. And wow. the same was true of their grand pups. I didn't know mice were pups. Yeah. Uh, interesting. When the pups were exposed to a different smell, they showed no enhanced response. Um, and the offspring also had more M71 receptors in the brains uh, than did mice born from parents who had no smell conditioning prior. Um, so how is this knowledge useful? How, how do we need to train people in the future to avoid certain smells? Well, I think uh, it, it's an interesting... I mean, it's probably the beginning of a lot of, a lot of things that, that uh, you can pass on like these theories have existed forever that and you can you, you can pass on trauma. Farts, does that mean your farts do smell like your dad's? That's a good call. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know I if can't this. Can't believe I made you guys just go. Mm, I want, no, I, I don't wonder. know if this works for positive smells. I, I uh, perhaps. I mean, perhaps it works for positive smells. Sometimes I'll smell something. I have no idea. I mean, I assume it's triggered some really happy memory I had. But sometimes there's some smell that's just completely indescribable, and I'm just like it kind of takes me aback. Yeah. But um I assume, you know, this is the start of a lot of research on which which they've been researching for a long time about um uh can you pass on trauma, you know, generational trauma. Um but uh, I did they read they, something uh, last week that uh if you're like he- heavy drug users Apparently, it's not hereditary. Like a child of a heavy drug user is often often avoids drugs. Sure, for longer. I I, I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought that a lot of people would have been like, "Oh, I inherited it. I'm going to be a drug addict too." But apparently, well, I think that's that's more nature versus nurture, right? It's like a, a lot of people. Um, I smoke cigarettes. My parents don't. Right. right. Now, a lot of people I know that don't. Their parents did. Um, just because you see how negative, you see how shitty it is. It's right there in front of you, and you're like, "I'm never doing that." Okay. Do, you know, you know what I mean? Do you think that's this generation, though? Do you think that's happened in the, in the last generation? Sure. I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, my, my, my children that, probably that, won't. Uh, children of smokers are more likely to smoke. That used to be an old statistic in the... Yeah, maybe it is just recent. in the 90s and Yeah, stuff, maybe, but. maybe it is just recent. I, I, um, I know there's lots of social evidence for passing on trauma. Generational trauma. Um, cultural trauma. Um, 
There's there's a lot of sociological evidence for that, but there's very little genetic evidence for that. So I think it's interesting that they've they found some, even in just this small way. Yeah, that, that, it is still a result that surprises me, because that's not how I thought DNA worked. Right. Like I th- yeah. I, th- I thought DNA and changes are much more gradual, and I thought select... That seemed to suggest more of a driving force than just basic natural selection. Like it's a more active process that can that can be in existence for specific traits. Sure, but I mean we have plenty of traits like that: the hair color, skin tone, things that happen really quick that you inherit from your parents specifically. Yeah, yeah, no, but they're things that are. Di- but we're talking about changing those traits. So though, like the, you know, the famous case that I think you you I'm sure. Did you learn about this at school? Uh, uh, a particular type of moth, and I'm really sort of scraping the back of my memory now, but like a moth that sometimes has dark wings, sometimes has light wings. Right. And the dark wing version became far more prevalent in during the, during the Industrial Revolution in Britain when the trees that it was trying to blend in with tended to be covered in soot and darker. Yes. Yeah. And then as the air cleared up again, the light wing ones started to take over again. Because, but that that's... um. That's just selection. That's natural selection. That's yes. just those ones having better advantage. They're not changing their wing it, color. It's not intergenerational, just passing down. You're not, you're not making it more likely that each individual parent will give birth to a dark skin, uh, sorry, dark winged version. Right, but these, the, but this, I mean, this is happening in a lab, and I don't know if it necessarily is that natural. These, these mice are smelling something and then they're getting their balls shocked off yeah but this is this is still a change that's happening in a single generation this is still um are there any smells that you guys hate that you've never known why like i'm there's a good friend of ours who's scared of bananas he hates the smell of bananas and now i'm curious to know if he inherited that you know what I mean? Because he's never been able to explain why. He's got a fear of bananas. It's a real thing. I don't know what it's called or anything. Hmm. But yeah, I've always it, found they have appeal. And, and he can't. <laughs> 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 he can't stand it. And I wonder if he. Uh, I wonder if he's ever checked in his family to see if fear of the smell of bananas <laughs> like has, you, has been passed down to him. Your, your grandpa Joseph was murdered by, <laughs> by a truckload of bananas. <laughs> no. It's in a banana factory. Man. So I wonder if you can, yeah, inherit that. Because he's never been able to explain it. He's terrified of them. Yeah. He hates bananas. Yeah, I've seen him run out of a room. When exactly, someone's... yeah. And he, then you ask him why, and you try to get him to be reasonable. He just doesn't know. And he hates the smell of it, anything. The peel is lying around. Instant paranoia. Well, they say that, uh, yes, this is certainly, there's certainly some evidence that you can indeed uh, inherit a memory, so to speak. Um, you know, and it seems, it seems to be some evidence there. Um, Marcus Pembry at the University of Bristol um, says it's high time public health researchers took human transgenerational uh, responses seriously, he says. Um, I suspect will not understand the rise in neuropsychiatric disorders or obesity, diabetes, and metabolic disruptions generally without taking a multi-generational approach. Um, which, you know, I think, I think makes perfect sense. Um, I've got, there's another, here's another biology story that came out uh, the last week or so. Um, and it's another unlikely thing, but a, a reason for something unlikely has been discovered. Seahorses, which are... Which look ridiculous. They're they ridiculous. Look, they look ridiculous. It's they look like a horse is what they look like. They look like a horse underwater. <laughs> but in in the sea. In the sea. Yeah. Some sort of well put. I together. have just worked out why, how he got the name. Yeah, because horsey just sounds like a baby horse. Right. So so it has to be seahorse. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they're ridiculous shape. They're also one of the one of the slowest swimmers around. Like it, they move exceptionally slowly. All of this points to something that shouldn't exist from an evolutionary point of view. Like, why? How has this thing survived? How does it manage to catch? Surely they're not related to the horse, though. Aren't they like shrimp? Is that? Yeah, my... they're no, yeah, they're not related. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. They have independently evolved to look like a horse. To look. Let me tell you something. Yeah, but that's us that thinks it looks like a horse, right? That's not. 
I think another yeah, creature... like another shi- another fish isn't going to look at it and go shit me a horse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something weird. Is I thought for years whenever I saw scallions on a restaurant menu, you know, which are just chives. But I thought for years that those meant seahorses. Uh, I thought that was a fan- related to scallops, scallops and stallions put together. Yeah, and I thought scallion was like a fancy restaurant word for seahorse, so it didn't turn you off <laughs> by using the word horse. As opposed so. to just spring onion. Yeah, 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 because it's a, a scallop mixed with a stallion. So it made perfect sense to me. That does make a lot of sense. Uh. I should have uh, looked up how to pronounce this word before I started reading this story. Um, the thing that seahorses eat are either called copepods or or copepods or copepods. C O P E P O D S. Who knows how that's pronounced? Well, I'd, they? Say, I'd say but they're co- very picky eaters. I'd say copepods. Copepods. Is it copepods? That yeah, sounds very right. Copepods. Sure. So, so that's what seahorses eat, and they're these tiny marine. Uh, creatures uh and they swim ludicrously quickly uh when these when they detect the disturbance they can swim distances of more than 500 times their body length per second uh according to this article in comparison a cheetah probably only runs 30 body lengths per second um and if the average u.s adult male traveled 500 body lengths per second based on their height they would move at nearly 2,000 miles per hour which I can only get to really fifteen hundred or so. Yeah, two thousand exactly. is, is. I mean, like to be fair, you that's have, sort of Olympic level, you know. Yeah, I mean, we don't, you know, work out, so I guess we we're never going to get to that level without no, full on training. I mean, that's yeah. Um. So, so the question is, how can this weird shaped, very slowly moving creature? Managed to eat this extremely. Well, he's got the element of surprise because the copper pod looks over and goes, "Oh, it's a horse." Well, they don't exist underwater, and then bam, <laughs> boom! Before he's even realized, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, they just think it's a, him. yeah, they think it's some sort of mirage or something <laughs> yeah. like a dream sequence. Can't be real. Someone's, yeah. uh, someone's dropped a coloring book <laughs> into, into the water. Here. Well, let me ask you, Matt. Does it have anything to do with their weird shape? It actually does. Um, it turns out. Uh, their weird shape causes almost no disruption of the water around them. Uh, it's they're they're apparently one of the stealthiest creatures around. Um, <laughs> they they examine this under uh, what was it they used? They used the some kind of electron, some sort of a scanning microscope. Um, um, and they capture they capture these uh, cop- copepods more than ninety percent of the time which is extremely effective for any sort of predator, uh, they they move with almost no disruption through the water, and then at the very last minute, they use their arched necks and, as a spring to pivot their head forward and catch the prey. So they're basically spring-loaded. They, so their head moves. They get up extremely close, and then at the very last second... So their body might not move fast, but their head moves very quickly their head does move very quickly right. but right up until the but the head only moves very quickly when it's almost touching it right it's go time yeah it's like a it's like a heavy metal bass player <laughs> just a, kind of a slow body very quiet but then that head comes out of nowhere <laughs> and the goatees start flying yeah. oh here's what how they did it they um they suspended uh these seahorses uh, the dwarf seahorse, in fact, is what they used. Uh, um, Hippocampus uh, zosteri, which is native to the Bahamas and the United States, and is only about one inch long. They suspended them with the copepods in water loaded with hollow glass beads around one-sixth the average di- diameter of a human hair. What kind of water do you get loaded into? Are uh, you saying this like it's crazy? I, I have bigger beads that I swim in. Uh, but they shone lasers into the water that illuminated the beads, and then by analyzing how the beads moved as the seahorses preyed on uh, the creatures, uh, the scientists could deduce how they made water flow around them in three dimensions. And they found that the water around the seahorse's snout barely moves uh, while the victim approaches, uh, while the hunter approaches his victim, which helps it to close in undetected. This sounds like the kind of experimentation that you'd have to do if you were on the D-list of the scientists. You know, like, Hydrodynamic like, stealth is what it's called. We're giving you seahorse duty. You know, you're well, off, think, you're well, off the cancer. Well, f- you uh, know, uh, fluid dynamics and the interactions of uh, rigid bodies against them is, uh, is a very difficult field. I would think that we could use this 
technology, use this finding, obviously, to get some sort of stealth land horses going. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep in mind they do look similar. Obviously, the horse could probably sneak up on some sort of victim, be trained as some sort of assassin. Um, well, even, like, I'm, I'm, it's a lot of fun if you happen to find yourself in swimming pools with a couple of friends to swim underwater and goose them. But what if they detect the flow of the water around you? What, what's goosing? Just grabbing them. That's what goosing a, a, is? A pinch of the bum. Yeah. Oh, it? okay. Okay. All yeah. right. I do believe I got suspended from from grade school when I was a kid for a goose. The, the weekend after I learned what the goose was, I'm pretty sure I applied it at school. Thinking, Wait, well, isn't this fun? Is this I swimming or, or you can goose out of a, a pool? Barbecue. You can goose out of a pool. But it's called a goose because it's done in the pool, I would assume. I don't know. If any uh, goose experts. I think experts. it's a goose on any, you know. On goose land on any or land or in water yeah, or in air. The, the move it's, yeah, I guess it's because is, it's is, all three. Well, because a it goose is, can it is a goose. Yeah. Geese can themselves travel through all all three media. Yeah, yeah. So it is the perfect name for uh, <laughs> something that you can take with you anywhere as a prank. Um, so, so you've so that's what getting goosed is. So yeah. I thought that meant like getting wasted. A little like hey, I got bum. goosed last night. I mean, I'm sure no, it could be. No, that's gassed. Gassed. Good call. Yeah. Now, how do we tie in Mother Goose? What's happening there? <laughs> a little weird, huh? So you, you hold the pinch for a little extra long. <laughs> That's a Mother Goose. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Get you suspended for the week. Yeah. Um, so, uh, relatives of seahorses, uh, like the pipefish and sea dragons, uh, also sea have... dragons? Yep. There's... Oh, this is this great. crazy stuff. Have, <laughs> you, ever, have you been scuba diving? There's mad stuff under the like. It's it's completely bananas. And I, I hope your friend's not listening. <laughs> but yeah, it's completely crazy. I mean, this is obviously proof that land dragons are related to horses again. Uh, <laughs> but the shapes of things that have managed to evolve underwater due to the weird environment under that, like it's bizarre creatures that shouldn't. You know, how has that survived and existed? But apparently, it's well suited. Um, Isn't it much more stable underwater? Well, that's one of the things. So, so you don't need a... Like, evolution you, happens much slower. It's way more prehistoric right. down there. And uh, well, I guess it's just more space apart from anything else. Yeah. Because things are existing in three dimensions. Um, right. But then, uh, whereas most most creatures on above the water are on the surface. Um, most people I know are pretty one-dimensional. And, uh... Mm. But, but yeah, and also because you've got the water buoyancy supporting it, things that shapes that wouldn't really be supported on land can exist. Right. Um, but relatives of these, uh, such as the pipefish and the sea dragons, also have heads with long, narrow snouts, and so may also benefit from what this is called. This is called a hydrodynamic stealth. But what, um, what about what about blunt-headed creatures there, Matt? Well, like the zebrafish or zebrafish, as probably, you would call probably it? zebra. Yeah, zebra. Uh, Do you guys say zebra? Yeah, we say zebra. Really? And we also call the letter that it starts with Z rather than Z. No, I know Z, um, but I didn't know it was yeah, called a, a zebra. Thing. Yeah, we go with Z as well, but we but we do zebra. <laughs> yeah. We're in the middle. We're in the middle. Well, I know. Um, Just well, creatures such as these zebra zebra fish, uh, they capture the copepods by sucking in water as they move towards the prey. Uh, they suck in the water at about the same speed as they move forward, so they're not pushing as much water in front of them towards prey. So they sort of hoover things up. Before I would right. do any of this, I would just pick a different food source. I mean, these copepods, they sound not worth it. They Maybe sound they're delicious. <laughs> they must be great to eat. It well must be. worth the work, I think. If, uh, if any of you guys have ever eaten a copepod and want to tell us how it tastes or indeed is pronounced, please email us uh, probablyscience at gmail.com and remember to put the subject line copepod. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm guessing if you've swam in the ocean, you've ingested a copepod without even knowing it. You probably have. <laughs> you probably have. Um, now, I think... Uh, so seahorses, not vegetarian. Land horses, vegetarian. So seahorses, more manly than horses. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Matt, what are you thinking here? What are you guys, what are you guys thinking? We should wrap up shortly because we're almost at an hour here. Really? This was meant to be the mini bonus episode. I know it's a mini bonus episode, and we've gone off. <laughs> it and turns out to be we've gone off the and same talked. length as all the other episodes we we've did. We've gone off and talked, uh, but that's okay. That's okay. So I guess it's a proper episode. That's fine. Um, let's be thankful. Let's be thankful. Um, we have some listener emails um, about former stories that we're going to have to. Um, we're going to have to get to um, 
I hate saying this, uh, Marcus Prescott. Uh, thank you so much for your email. One of them's like a proper thesis, though, so we're going to have to read that and sort of analyze it. Yeah. Uh, so I think if, if you do want to send us stories, and we always appreciate cool stories that you found that you want us to cover. Um, do so. It, do so, but but honestly, if you've got a link to like a new scientist or Scientific American... Uh, Something we can read to you. Or BBC digest of the story. It's a lot easier for us than the full... Yeah, I mean, we got a proper Princeton PDF <laughs> with graphs and things. I don't know what they mean. I got to get a. I got to buy a graphing calculator now. Um, yeah, the full the full scientific journal is great if you're if you're a real journalist. Uh, we I'm not sure we have we're able to interpret the no not on the, the fly quite as well not on the fly not right now. But Marcus, we're gonna we're gonna get to that and we will do that on our next episode. Um, you're gonna hear from us all about that because there's some great uh, great stuff about about. Uh, Stuff we've talked about before having to do with multitasking. Um, but do we, should we do this one last little story? I still pulled last... up a picture of the koala there. I was going to say, I when I was in Australia recently, um, I, I held a koala and it almost clawed the shit out of me. Now, there's only when one. somebody made a noise and it just fucking dug in. Now, I, you're not allowed to hold koalas in most parts of Australia, I think. Right. Like, well, is it, were you in Queensland? I was in Sydney. Really? Because I think yeah. in New South Wales, that's one of the well, states where you're not... Well, they making a sneaky exception for us because we were there from the Sydney Comedy Festival. So maybe the zookeeper person was trying to impress us. Was like showing off to so you. Like, maybe she you hated your comedy. Then... She was off whistling to the side. <laughs> yeah. He's trained to kill. Somebody <laughs> slammed a gate and the thing just dug in. But what I liked is I was looking at it like the, the expression of fear on, on its face was really real. I could really... It, it, he had real personality in his face when he was terrified. I know. It's as if they have feelings, these animals. <laughs> um, well, there's, there's been some cool discoveries that uh, koalas actually bellow with a very unique voice organ. Um, so you, did you hear it making a noise? They have a, a distinct rumbling noise, a rumbling bellow that koalas make. Yeah, it, well, it wasn't a shriek. Well, they, yeah. They re- made this very low-pitched sound, which is weird for such a tiny creature. Absolutely, absolutely. Generally, it's the other way around. You know, obviously, uh, the elephants communicating below human hearing range. Uh, you know, the famous discovery that they communicate, but but we can't hear it. Um, and then a lot of smaller creatures generally are above the human hearing range if if they are small enough. High pitch, um, which again makes sense. You know, the mice the and things like things of the such. Longer instruments can well, have longer wavelengths, and yes, absolutely, absolutely. But. Um, uh, koalas, researchers have discovered, have an extra pair of vocal folds outside the larynx. Oh, sorry. Uh, or the larynx. I don't know how anything works. Uh, which they use to make their mating calls. Um, and it allows them to produce a very, very low-pitched sound. It's about 20 times lower than would be expected for an animal of its size. Um, yeah, more typical of an animal the, si- the size of an elephant. Um, so quite a finding there. So I guess this, the, the, the news you take away from that is if you're... If you have a marsupial barbershop quartet, yes, the koala will actually be the bass. You're gonna, yeah. Most people assume <laughs> alto for the koala. Yeah, I would have put alto for the koala. Maybe like one of the larger kangaroos for the bass. <laughs> right, right. And then you'd pr- you'd probably go for baritone. You'd go what like a, like a wallaby or something. Um, probably duckbilled platypus for soprano. I would assume because you would you would equate it to like bird sounds. Yeah, sort of quacking. Um, that, that is what you would take away from this. That's, <laughs> well, there are some sort of marsupial rats as well. That's the, one of the weird things about Australia is how many, like, there's a whole evolutionary chain of, mar, yeah. or tree rather, of marsupials. Like, so they have marsupial versions of a lot of things that have evolved as non-marsupials in, on our continents. Yeah. Um, they have little marsupial rats and marsupials. Did you ever, did you, have you walked through and see how drugged up they leave all the kangaroos and stuff? I haven't. I've been to. Is this in Taronga Zoo? So I've been through. Looped up in the. It was in Sydney. Um, the zoo, that's they're, the, yeah, they're like high, <laughs> just kind of stumbling around. Easy to walk up to. Yeah, yeah. They drug their kangaroos. Wow, so, I know they do that in pet shops a lot with like the kittens and puppies and stuff. Just do they really? Them. Yeah, there's so a lot you're of. Tell me, it's an illusion. So when we walk in there to play with the puppies, it's not the the puppies aren't. Well, they're flipping Aren't out, really you know? They're on Valium. They'd be... Right. Yeah, that's not some cute little... Oh, okay, so they're not sedate. It's not a they're, sedated... They're sedated. Drug. Yeah, they're sedated. Oh, right, okay. So yeah. the, these, uh, this vocal... This 
larynx fold uh it's kind of similar to, it's a kind of similar effect to what humans do when they snore uh and the researchers think this very low pitched call might have evolved because it helps the koalas to transfer information more clearly in their vocalizations or another possibility is that the low pitch acts as a direct cue to females of the male's quality uh but this remains a topic for future studies. Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, smaller mammals like koalas, um, they can weigh as little as, as uh, 18 pounds, 8 kilograms. Um, but they tend to have a smaller uh, larynx with shorter, thinner vocal folds. So yeah, it was like you were saying earlier, like the bellows on an instrument or the strings on an instrument, uh, that would make a higher pitch sound. Um, but when researchers have dissected the koala's vocal tracks, they found a second larger set of vocal folds that are um, they're located outside the larynx, uh, where the oral and nasal cavities connect. Um, so these folds are called the velar vocal folds, and they're over three times longer and around 700 times heavier than the laryngeal vocal folds. Um, so obviously larger structures can oscillate at lower frequencies. And there you have it. Low, grumbly koala noises. Wow. Wow, that's very informative, fellas. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I didn't come over here tonight thinking I can't wait to learn about the koala's uh, vocal uh, well, abilities. Well, JJ, and, it's uh, happened. Thanks for blowing my mind. Well, last week, last week, uh, no, a couple of weeks ago, rather, one of our guests were, was Sam Levine, who's who's a relatively small guy but has a very deep voice. I wonder uh, he's maybe Our more koala? koala than man. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was big. He did hug us very hard. He did. And he wouldn't leave for a while. And he only eats uh, eucalyptus leaf. That is true. That is true. Yeah. Yeah, very weird. He ate all my chapstick. Right. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> he just, just kept eating it. Um, so, yeah, koalas make uh, lower noises than they should be. What, what are you doing, Australia? Why are your animals so weird? What, fuck off. You know? <laughs> what, are you, what are you up to? What are you up to over there? What are you doing down there with your weird... With your didgeridoos and your red pandas, those are the cool ones. I like the red pandas. That's it is they're really the, weird if pandas. you ever meet an Australian creationist, which they're they're out there, right? But like Australians who don't believe in evolution. When you go, when just walking around Australia, wow, you, you you can never see more of a clear evidence that of a completely different evolutionary chain. And yeah, if you're an Australian creationist, do you think that God just spoiled your country? We just and put went, like I'm going to give the I'm going to do different. Uh, I'm going to do different uh, stuff yeah. on this continent. <laughs> Wow. This will be, be my sandbox to it's, just play around. And, it's a new week. Yeah. <laughs> he's sort of developing his uh, he's developing his expansion kit <laughs> for Earth. He's sort of, we're about to get upgraded. And he's uh, sort of working on stuff. It's kind of a sketchbook. You, you must have creationists that are rivals against each other then. If you are an Australian creationist, you must yep. be the North American creationist. This is the ideal rat. <laughs> no, this is the ideal. Wow. God gave us the better ones. Right. <laughs> I wonder if there's secular uh, creationist infighting. and <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Creationists from Britain must be bored to death. <laughs> oh, that's just not a cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dog. Yeah. Probably is much easier to be a creationist sort of in more like, I don't know, temperate climates. Yeah. I would think, yeah. you know. Dog, cat, bird, horse, done. Yeah. Well, like, you know. No snakes. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. Like mole, bow, bow weevil. You know, things like that. It's just like, yeah, I, I could see that as being from the same mind. You know? <laughs> I could see that. Um, but like, if you go to Australia as well, that's like finding out, it's like finding those weird sort of techno tracks that Paul McCartney did in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> You're like, someone, oh man, someone bought this album. This is weird. Really? Same guy? Same, same guy. Same guy wrote both. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Um, we we should probably wrap up. We should wrap up, but this is going up tonight. So, guys, what do we have coming up? What's going on? Are there any shows that people that our listeners should know about? Oh well, we're kicking together on Wednesday. Aren't we, we are doing kicking together. Yeah, LA people. Uh, if you're in the LA region, uh, both JJ and I are, are doing a show in Highland Park on Wednesday, as in in two days' time. Uh, and then also at the Comedy Central stage on the ninth, uh, there's a night of British comedians. Uh, that Andy Osho, who was last week's guest, oh, cool. is organizing, and a couple of other Brits. So, uh, any British listeners in LA who miss hearing your accent live and up close, or any people who just want to go to that, um, yeah, so come, those two shows. Come work. see these comics that were run out of your native country. Yeah, yeah. come see. <laughs> 
Yeah. So do that. Uh, they can find you on Twitter at... Uh, JJ Whitesnake. I was drunk when I signed up for it. <laughs> okay. I, uh, sure. <laughs> JJ Whitesnake. You know, you're hassled enough to join Twitter by your management or whatever, and then you just get a bit drunk. Oh, fine. I'll join it, but I'm changing it to Whitesnake. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm trying to think. I will, I'll be in um, uh, Grand Rapids in February in Michigan. Uh, we're going to be at Sketchfest in San Francisco. We are going to be at Sketchfest. I'm going to be at the Riot LA Comedy Festival here in LA in e- early January. Excellent. Um, and then I have, I, I don't know, I'm at a bunch of clubs around town that month too. Um, so be sure to check that out. Awesome. I'm back in Britain in January. I'm doing my only British dates. I'll go and see you. Uh, for a while. So I'll be back in Britain. Yeah, go see January. JJ. Go and see JJ. And as always, uh, follow us on Twitter. F- tell your friends. Subscribe on iTunes if you're not already subscribing. And iTunes is the way you listen to these things. Uh, and be nice to each other. Be good and, to one another. And donate 666. Anytime you want. We'll take it. <laughs> we'll take it. Uh, you guys, thanks for listening. We'll be back with a full regular episode again. I mean, I guess this is a regular episode. This ended up being a complete regular episode. Sure. All right, that's fine. <laughs> this is meant to be about, this well, meant to be about be 25 minutes. We got carried away. We're going to keep having episodes. So uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.